when will this be over? When is this going to end? These are questions I hear almost every single day. And it's weird because we try to guess, you know, when is life going to be back to normal or, or at least more normal than right now feels. And nobody really seems to have a solid or accurate answer for that. This, is, this reminds me of an autobiography I read a couple of years ago of a Navy SEAL, uh, an elite American military soldier who is describing his experience of trying to make a certain team. And for them, in, in this level of the military, it is, it is a rigorous and punishing process. He described these long beach runs. He described, you know, pushing cars and buses and, and doing pull-ups, sit-ups, push-ups, being underwater, and, and often showing up at a test already physically exhausted from the previous exercise. It was grueling. And for him, he said, the only way I could control my anxiety was just make it to the next meal. See, for him, training was like an elephant. And as we've heard maybe before, how you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So for him, the bite-sized chunks of his day were the gaps from meal to meal to meal. Just train till breakfast. Just push to lunch. Just focus until dinner. And it's helpful to have these markers and these goals that we know we can take rest in because they help us get through the pressure of the present. Have you ever felt that way? Like maybe that's how you feel right now, where, there, where there's something right now about where you are at that is difficult, that is, that is stressful, and you just need something to look towards to just make it to there. You know, just, maybe for you, it's like, I just got to make it to the end of the workday. I just got to make it to the end of the semester. I just got to make it until holidays. I just got to make it till you know, my, my toddler goes for a nap or it's bedtime or, or, or whatever it might be. I just got to make it until I push past this injury. I push past this, this debt. I push past this crisis. Maybe that's where you're at right now. And we know it's, it's helpful to have a look towards the end. And as we're continuing our series in 1 Peter, what Peter will, will pull us out of is our immediate situation to give us a bigger picture of reality, which is something we all need when we're going through the pressure of the moment. But here's what's interesting about this. We know that whenever this does end, and whenever the, the thing for you, maybe it's the coronavirus crisis, maybe it's something else, whenever you get through that, what we already know is that there's going to be something else we're going to look forward to after that. There's going to be something else that leaves us feeling unsatisfied, unfulfilled. Because like we're all looking for security. We're all looking for significance. We're all looking for rest and restoration for, if, in some way. And even once you're past what you're currently in, you know there's going to be another need, another longing, another restlessness that won't fully satisfy you until the one who created you comes back and restores all things. See, what we believe and what Peter is going to point us towards today is that what we already have is worth way more than anything the world could offer us at the best of times. And this is why I'm so encouraged and excited to jump into our text today from 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 6 where Peter writes this. He's describing the salvation. He's describing the inheritance that we're looking towards because of the finished work of Jesus. And he says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A couple of years ago, I was in a softball league and uh, in the course of one game, something really strange happened. We were, my team was just getting destroyed. Like it was probably 12 runs to three or something, something really bizarre like that. And, you know, we were at our last inning. And so my team was up to bat and we uh, unfortunately didn't accomplish anything significant. We didn't uh, get enough runs to tie the game or win the game. And we thought, okay, well, that's it. There's the loss for us. But something weird happened. Both the umpire and all the coaches, for some reason, decided to play the bottom half of the inning. Meaning that the winning team, whose score was already greater than ours, whose victory was already secure, was going to get a whole nother set of batting when the end was already decided. And, and for me, the, the, the injustice of this and the pointlessness of this could have pushed me to, to play harder and just end the whole thing, shut the whole thing down, but it didn't. Oh, the ball would like, you know, kind of come down beside me and just, somebody else going to get that, like, I don't care at all right now what's going on uh you want to go and you know try to finish this game for me because I, I got nothing left in the tank the end's already decided like what are we doing right because when we know what is next we make decisions about what is now and for the christian what peter is trying to put us towards what i believe the holy spirit wants to speak to us is that the greatest end the greatest fulfillment the greatest set of blessings are still yet to come and the victory is secure. You can make decisive actions about what is right now based on the fact that what is next is so, so good. One theologian puts it this way, Peter wants his readers to understand that the redemptive action of Christ's death together with his subsequent resurrection and ascension to God's right hand have completely reoriented their existence for the good. See, for the Christian, what we recognize is that all things in history are working their way towards this climactic moment where Jesus himself returns and fully restores all things. See, ultimate fulfillment for us in life doesn't come through the arrival of our goals. No, ultimate fulfillment for us comes through the arrival of our God. And what the Bible tries to present to us, each time it tries to get us to look at how suffering and, and our life work together, is it pulls us out of our immediate situation and tries to cast light on the larger situation, the larger reality. In the movie Apollo 13, one of the astronauts who's projecting, you know, going to the moon and he's thinking about all the glory that's going to be there. And while he's on earth, he thinks, man, the moon is so small compared to my vantage point here on earth. And he often, you know, he holds his thumb up in a scene to kind of block the whole moon out from his perspective on earth. So that, you know, once he gets up into space and he's looking back towards his home, you know, the earth is going to look really small. So small, in fact, that he could block out the earth with his thumb. And this is an interesting thing about perspective. See, when things are close to us, they seem bigger than things that are actually larger. For example, right now, the way I am in position to the camera you are watching me recorded through, I am closer to the lens than something that is actually larger than me. See, our worship pastor's face, what that actual physical material is, is much bigger than my actual face, much bigger than my actual body. But because I am closer to the lens, 
it seems like I am bigger. In fact, I can completely block out the reality of something larger behind me. And this is what the gospel can do for us. It can take us away from something that is, yes, for sure serious, yes, for sure real, that's right in front of us, you know, the suffering, the hardship, the crisis, the disease, you know, the burden, the stress, the anxiety, the depression, that's, that's right in our immediate sphere, as real as it is, it can pull us out of that and give us perspective to go, look, there is something bigger going on, even though what's happening to you feels big right now. Yes, fight it. Yes, pray. Yes, move and, 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 and endure and all that. But do that realizing there is a far bigger, far more glorious reality at stake. And the genuine faith you have is of unsurpassable value. One example I want to give us is from Colossians chapter 3, which says this. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Did you catch that? You also will appear with him in glory. So for however big or small, you know, what you are facing that's right up in front of you is right now, there is something far larger, far grander, far more glorious that the gospel wants to remind us of. Yes, what you're going through might be hard. Yes, what you're going through might be inconvenient. Yes, what you're going through might not be ideal. But it's not the only reality that is true. When Jesus returns, there is a far more glorious end to all of this so that no matter what we're facing right now, there is a bigger picture, bigger reality happening. Like think, think of this, even as Peter has, has pointed out for us, you know, when we get through all of this and, and we don't waste you know, the hardship we're going through, the decisions we make now based on what we know is next could result in praise and honor and glory at his coming. Think of, think of this. Like, I've, I've been trying to wrap my mind around this all week. Us being praised by the one who is the most praiseworthy. Imagine him. In his glorious, triumphant, victorious splendor of return, telling you, well done. Like the one who receives all the worship of heaven, seeing you, knowing how you lived your life now, knowing that you went through fire, knowing that you went through testing, knowing that you went through trials of various kinds, and that your faith proved genuine, that that God, that Jesus who loved us, gave himself for us, the one who receives all that worship, saying to you, well done, honoring you, even though he's the one of most, utmost honor. What an amazing thing to think about, regardless of where we're at. But there's more than just what's next that's coming. See, the Christian life isn't just about two fixed points of joy where you know, we came to know Jesus and then we, you know, Jesus is, is coming back to us in the end. It's not just about these two fixed points. There is a large gap of time in the middle called your life and my life that something amazing and unspeakable has in store. And that is joy. Peter says, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
See, I think sometimes we think that the only things we can take joy in are the things that are, are tangible and physical and things that we can see. See, the way of the world is you can find happiness in what you can see. But the way of Jesus is joy can be gifted to you from the one you cannot see. It's interesting, you know, the Bible you know, makes us and puts us in this position of, of acknowledging what is real. You really cannot see him, but you really can have joy. Joy is possible without sight. The way of the world is that you can find happiness in what you can see. But the way of Jesus is you can be gifted joy from the one you cannot see. Joy is possible without sight. What, what we need to see here is two very important things. Number one, that joy does not require the removal of your problems. There are people I personally know right now, and, and it's even hard to think about, just the names and the faces in my, in my own head, people who are wrestling with addiction or, or struggling with, with crisis or you know, trying to process how are they going to get free of, of their anxiety or you know, where, what is the future going to hold? They've got fear of, of loss or fear of change or, or some sort of relational tension. And it's like, man, we wish these things were not present. But what God is pointing us towards is the reality that joy does not require the deletion of all these other things externally. Joy can be found even in the midst of them. A second thing this tells us is that joy doesn't require the fulfillment of our wishes. So you don't need to have all these other external things added to, even though these things are good and helpful things. You know, the people I'm thinking of who, who really want, you know, to, to have a child but are struggling with infertility. The people I really know who, who really want to get out of debt and yet they've lost their job. The people I know who, who really want to see, you know, a break from life and, and have a vacation or have a holiday with their family who now have to be forced into, into working more or, or wrestling with a whole new reality that, that wasn't going to be the case when we started 2020. And their wishes, they're waiting for them. There's prayers that are unanswered, goals that are left untapped, potential that is, that is just, just sitting and waiting. Do we have to wait for these things to happen in order to have joy? No, Peter would tell us we don't. Because joy doesn't require either the removal of our problems nor the addition of our wishes. Joy is possible without sight because ultimate joy is not found in anything externally. Ultimate joy is found in trusting Jesus. And I know that sounds really, you know, stereotypical of what you'd expect to hear, uh, you know, from the Bible or from, from some sort of Christian saying. So how do we actually do that? Well, I want to suggest one thing is that we need to move past just recognizing the truth of the gospel and resting in the God of the gospel. Because look, it's easy to say you agree with, with what God says. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I believe even that, that all of this is true. I believe that what's coming in the future is good. I believe you know, that I'm saved. I believe that I have this security. It's easy to say a lot of these things. But it's a whole other thing to actually rest in them and lean the full weight of your life on these things. And you know, maybe for you what that requires is, is making this really personal. Because look, none of this can be true for you until it is personal to you. One, one simple way that, this could, that you could just bring this even closer to where you are is to start to pray a little differently. One suggestion would be to not just refer to God in your prayers as God or Lord or, or Savior, but just simply add the word my. My Lord, my God, 
my king, my shepherd. And just bring that one step closer to you. I remember a, a pastor years ago encouraged me to start referring to God as father when I pray. Something I'd never really done. You know, I'd kind of grown up just praying, you know, Lord God or, or Lord generically. And as soon as I started praying father and starting my prayers that way, something shifted in me. See, it doesn't, you know, your word change, your word choice doesn't really change what you believe. But it might deepen what you believe. So let's move past just recognizing what is true and actually resting in what is true. And I think it would be so amazing if the world could see, you know, a whole movement of joy-filled Christians who know that joy doesn't require, you know, me getting more or, or losing all of the inconvenient or, or difficult things in life, but joy is found in resting in the God of the gospel. I think we would set an amazing witness to those who are seeking hope, seeking truth, seeking something better than this world can give. And I know for me, like, I can't think of a single person I look up to in faith who doesn't have joy, who doesn't exude some sort of joyful posture towards life. You know, nobody I've ever sought as an example of, of Christian maturity is a Debbie Downer, just always complaining, always, you know, focusing on the negative and being critical. And man, I wish, I wish this were more true of me, that I would exude joy more often. So, you know, maybe for us to think, you know, are, are we mostly complaining or are we mostly resting in Jesus so that he can produce joy in us regardless of what we're going through, and lead the world to him from that posture. One more place Peter takes us. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Old Testament writers live in a time of promise, but we live in a time of promise fulfilled. And I know there are still fears attached to this right now where it's like, wow, you know, I'm afraid of, that I'm going to lose certain things and conveniences and, and, and whatever else comes with that. But when we start in times of struggle to see what is lost, we also see what is going to last. And the lasting things are of unsurpassable and unspeakably great value. This time has been labeled as the COVID era, yes, but also alongside that we are living in the Christ era. Jesus has come. He has brought us victory and deliverance and power for now. And although it seems like at times like your faith may not actually help during hardship, that you know there's going to be unanswered prayer and, and we're all kind of struggling through life together, what we re need to realize is that Christianity isn't just some sort of philosophy or self-help recipe. No, this is reality. This is reality that we can grab onto. And even it says the angels are, are, are looking at us with intense focus, not seeing a faith that is irrelevant, not seeing a faith that is insignificant, seeing a faith that is of utmost interest and, and seeing us going, wow, God is the one who's directing all of his blessing and presence towards these people in an amazing, mysterious way. We survive now by looking towards what is next. And we thrive by realizing what we have now. Let me leave us with the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which say this. 
We, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus is worth trusting. Now, I don't know where you are at with him today, but I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray along with either to, to move yourself to a place of deeper trust again or a place of first-time trust and owning this for yourself. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you have paid it all to remove all the barriers that separated us from you. We want to give you our lives. God, I give you my life. I place my trust in you. I rest in you knowing that what is next is glorious. And what is right now can be joy-filled because of the forgiveness and grace and power you offer me. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to have our worship team sing a, a song now, and it might be unfamiliar to us, but in light of this glorious salvation we've just talked about, let these words speak encouragement into your heart as our team plays.